Welcome to this special podcast series from the National Institute for Health and Care Research about the future of research. You'll be hearing from five clinicians who are the current Thames Valley and South Midlands Clinical Research Network Fellows. We will be discussing the big research challenges facing healthcare. I'm Dr. Sanjay Ramakrishnan. I'm a research fellow in respiratory medicine at the University of Oxford. And over four episodes, I'll be asking my colleagues the tough questions. Are we getting trial participants who are representative of our diverse population? Is our research workforce ready for the future? Is it all going to be online? Join us to get answers to all these tough questions. The title of the podcast today is The Future of Research, Challenges and Solutions for Participant Diversity. Diverse communities are exactly that, diverse, and it includes all groups within the NHS Core 20 plus 5 framework. This framework includes the most deprived 20% of the national population, additional underrepresented groups such as those from ethnic minorities and five clinical areas requiring accelerated improvement such as maternity. To discuss this broad and exciting topic, I'm joined by Laura, Sophia and Tanya. So to start with, could I just ask each of you to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Hi, I'm Laura Taylor. I'm a research optometrist. I work at Oxford Eye Hospital and I see patients with inherited retinal conditions who are taking part in clinical trials. Uh, My research work involves um, improving the vision tests used in those ophthalmic clinical trials. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Sofia Cerdeira. I am a clinical lecturer at the University of Oxford and a doctor at the John Radcliffe Hospital. I look after pregnant women and I have a particular interest in maternal medicine. My specific area of research is preeclampsia, which is a disorder that causes a raised blood pressure in pregnancy. Hi, I'm Dr. Tanya Barron. I'm an emergency medicine consultant in Oxford and I've also previously been a GP. Um, I'm involved in various trials within emergency research and chair our um, patient and public involvement group. My passion is to make research accessible to everybody to ensure it's a normal part of patient care. Thank you. So today we're going to talk about what the challenges are and why it matters that our participants are diverse. As always, COVID is a great example. The COVID vaccines were were an incredible success of research design and delivery. But one issue that came up was the participants who joined the COVID vaccine trials were not representative of the wider UK population or the wider global population. Um, One important group that was missed and often are missed are pregnant women. And Sophia, you can tell us why we are not as good at recruiting pregnant women and include this important group of people in our in our in our studies. You know, classically, uh, and this is a major problem. Uh, women are denied investigations or life-saving uh, preservative treatments simply because they are pregnant or uh, breastfeeding. And the truth is that we don't have appropriate uh, research and appropriate uh, data to be able to care properly for those patients. So that you are aware, just to put this into context, there are uh, more drugs in the pipeline for rare diseases than there are for pregnancy. And if you think about the amount of pregnant women in the world per year, uh, th- th- this is is something that that, that is actually uh, you know this is it's breathtaking shouldn't shouldn't be happening, and uh, um, it, it represents about only 
3% in comparison to research in cardiovascular uh, disorders. And if you think about the impact that pregnancy has, not only for the mother and the long-term health consequences that has in the mother, but those nine months in the womb, they will be responsible for imprinting what's going to be the life of that uh, baby becoming an adult, an increased risk of cardiovascular disorder. So if you can intervene in pregnancy, there's a, you can significantly improve the condition of the whole population. And that has been a problem because, yeah, yeah Laura, I think you want to say something? I've, I've got a question. What What is being done to try and improve uh, uh, pregnant women's involvement in research? So now there's... Um, uh, movement trying to, to change this, and this this is now acknowledged as a major problem. I think that's the the first thing, and there's several uh, initiatives, and it's not only in pregnant women, but it's also women in general. In, for instance, in cardiovascular disorders and in cardiovascular diseases, women in, have um, are massively underrepresented. Some sometimes they're only twenty or twenty-five percent of the population that has been studied, and of course there are gender differences in um, in the way that the, the disease manifests, and you cannot extrapolate one uh, for another. So there's um, a campaign from the American the College of Cardiology. So go red for women. There are clinics that have been started for um, uh, specifically for, for women in cardiovascular disease. So there's a lot of um, campaigns to raise awareness. There's a lot of institutes that being um, started for women's health and uh, women's research. And in general, there has been a, a huge movement also from uh, the leaders and um, here in UK specifically, and you have people from like Professor uh, Marian Knight uh, raising the issue. And, and I think what's important is that there's been some work with the need, there needs to be work with the government regulators, clinicians, academics, patients, and citizens need to work collaboratively to make this work. Uh, I mean, this uh, the issue about women and pregnant uh, patients being underrepresented in research could be a whole topic for them. Just for the the, the the entire podcast. Exactly, and, and just over half of the population of the UK, and unfortunately, don't are not represented in in our in our trials. And a key step that the National Institute for Health and Care Research are doing is trying to involve participants and patients early on in the design. And, and Tanya mentioned this. Um, how 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 are you doing this, Tanya? How are you making sure your participant population are as di diverse as possible. And, you know, we sometimes forget that diversity starts all the way from just gender balance, not just the more difficult, so how did reach group? Yeah, so we created um, the our PPI groups, our patient and public involvement group, um, a couple of years ago, and um, have got a reasonably diverse group in terms of gender and ethnicity. Um, however, I think with all of these groups, part of the um, recognised problem is that often um, it tends to be people who are not working anymore. So a sort of 
older age group that um, will be involved or people who are already involved in research. And so one of the things I'm really keen to do with our group is to make it more representative of our local population. So um, within the emergency department, we obviously cover every everybody, every um, person, every age, every ethnicity, every presentation. And actually what we'd like would be to have a larger PPI group, um, which represents our local population and so one of my key goals really is to try and get some funding available so that we can we can expand that and make it more more relevant and have you have you worked with the center for engaging engagement dissemination with the and i think it was previously called include but what has your experience and how does the nihr supporting this so the NIHR recognise this as a problem and um, have got some different strategies. So yes, they did have um, NHS, NHS involved, um, but that recently, well, a couple of years ago now, they um, sort of merged that together to become the Centre for Engagement and Dissemination. Um, and they do recognise there's a problem with diversity and inclusion across all research and are trying some different strategies to to um to change that um but i think actually probably more locally we all need to be right recognizing it as a problem within each of our own research areas and actually reaching out to try and get people more involved and um i think that's probably the better way better way of doing it rather than big national um strategies I think what I think you hit the nail on the head. I think one of the problems is um, uh, rural communities and the um, access to research. And um, you know, research tends to happen in uh, big cities where there's a big university and a big teaching hospital and specialist centres. Whereas across the country, in smaller communities and rural communities, the research just isn't there. And I think this touches on the last podcast where we discussed having. Uh, diversity in the research workforce and the more diversity there is in the healthcare professionals you know pay you know um uh you know primary care gps pharmacists opticians if they're involved in research then they can then get these local communities and these hard to reach patient groups involved as well Yeah, I was just going to say, actually, there's a newish document from NHS England and NHS Improvement um, called Core 20 Plus 5, which the NIHR will, I'm assume, assume, will work alongside. Um, and that's trying to reduce health inequalities and looking at sort of to 20% of the most deprived population. Um, and that's sort of determined by a sort of wide range of social um, issues. And then specific population groups, so some that you were mentioning there, Laura, the rural communities. Um, but as a interestingly, actually, Sophia, there's no mention within those sort of population groups of pregnant women there is a in their five part there's a five areas to focus on and one of them is maternity for um ethnic minority groups um however it's not across all pregnant women so but hopefully that will start to sort of work into it but uh, yeah i was interested when you were saying that i was looking at the core 20 plus 5 um sheet and it doesn't mention um all pregnant women no but it's yeah it's interesting but i think the 
important thing is that actually there are new task forces that have been created. And several organizations like the WHO, the FDA, the MHRA are now pushing to develop strategies to safely include pregnant and lactating women in research. But um, as we're talking now, we, we all need to be part of the solution and help to build this uh, momentum from you know raising awareness as we're doing now and actually taking some action. So I think the near solutions, let's talk solutions. We heard the problem, we need to do something about it. The, the big thing that the National Institute for Health Care Research are doing is the Be Part of Research campaign. Instead of waiting for clinicians or research practitioners to approach a participant, we are encouraging direct volunteering from participants. And this was a raging success with the COVID vaccines. It, we had more volunteers than we knew what to do with, both for vaccine studies as well as challenge studies. And we're still using those databases to recruit participants for, for research in the UK. And the UK was a world leader, definitely, in, on this. So the Be Part of Research campaign is hoping to set up a database, already setting up a database of, of people who are volunteering directly onto their websites. And how, how will that change how you get to participants? Will that add a new recruitment platform for you? And how will that change the way you, you recruit in your trials? And I think it's great that, you know, proactive patients can go onto the website, they can put in their condition, and then they can see what clinical trials are going on that might be relevant for them. Um, a couple of the limitations of the website are that, at the moment, to the best of my knowledge, it only includes uh, clinical trials that are registered on the government database, the clinicaltrials.gov and also the International Standard Randomized Controlled Trial Registry. So it doesn't include um, smaller studies that may still be going on, that they may still be eligible. I think, am I right in thinking that's changing? Yeah, so the, the again, the NHX Clinical Research Network, uh, network of, of, of our coordinating centers have, have taken on, on that, that feedback and are now using the what you would recognize as a, a, the, the network portfolio model to try and populate the research. And, and that is the most up-to-date network we have of, of data. So hopefully that will make it a lot more uh, easier for, for patients to understand and, and volunteer for study. I think it'd be quite good if there was a way of uh, linking up to be a part of research campaign, having it sort of an app-based thing or linking it to the NHS app where it looks at your medical records and you get a notification that there's a study in your area that is relevant to your condition. Um, you know, rather than waiting for patients to put, proactively look for something, you know, the information actually comes to them. Obviously, there's ethics and consent linked into that. But maybe that's something in the future that could be looked at. That's a great idea. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, actually, um, I think the idea of a database is fantastic. I think the idea of patients and, and public being aware of what is available to them and just empowering them to come into hospital and ask for stuff is very helpful. Um, I think from an emergency point of view, nobody comes expecting to come to the emergency department when they wake up that day and so knowing that they're interested in being involved and in some way if that's able to be flagged up on their electronic patient record when they come in would be really helpful um, particularly for things where they're you could have a sticker like you have a, i'm a blood donor sticker you can have a little sticker on their on their driver's license saying get me for research i, I want research yeah <laughs>
another thought I had is when patients have like an, an outpatient appointment and you get your letter, you know, it could say on there what studies are going on in the department with a bit of information to say, you know, you may be invited to give patients a bit more warning so that they can prepare for when they um, turn up. But so I think awareness is a huge thing that um, can help improve improve you know, research involvement. But I think another aspect as well, which I haven't touched on yet, is accessibility and making research more accessible. I've been involved in quite a few studies that have had a really strict eligibility criteria, and we've had to turn so many patients away simply because they don't fit the eligibility criteria. I think eligibility criteria are important because you know you need to be they need to you need to recruit the patients that are going to enable you to answer the research question. But I think when we're designing a study, we should be asking ourselves, you know, how can we make this eligibility criteria as inclusive as possible? You know, can, do we really need to cut off at 18 or can we recruit teenagers and children you know, um, and, and things like that? And accessibility comes in so many different points. Eh? Like what Laura was saying, one is accessibility of the, of the product, the trial accessibility of the information, uh, whether or not the information we're giving to the particip potential participants are accessible. And not just the language is written in, but who gives the information. So I, I always use the baby lab in Oxford as an example. So this is a is a Oxford University and Oxford Brookes University collaboration where um, you know, psychology researchers, child development researchers attend toddler groups and they sign up mums and bubs who are uh, who want to help with research and the way they recruit is not just by um, by recruiting by telling participants this is a study but also actively engaging in play and actively engaging in examples of what would happen in in research in that environment so that this is this was not very difficult for for Laura or Tanya to implement in in a in a, in a local environment because it's happening uh, like like, like Tanya saying they need the care. They're coming there for the care. They have to come in for the emergency care that day. If only they could see what actually is happening, it sort of demystifies the, the whole thing about research. Sophia, do you think how could that happen in, in pregnant women? I think um I mean it's actually what you what you mentioned is applicable to to pregnant women. And I think that is uh, an, an, another point that is important. Uh, I think another way to increase the the, the the diversity is also to increase the diversity of the team doing the research. So it's known that um, uh, women are underrepresented in clinical trial leadership, and research has shown that trials led by women tend to recruit more women uh, as participants. And this also takes us back in to what we spoke before about um, having other team members allied healthcare professionals, people in the communities, people actually who are closer to, to the patients who are more vulnerable patients. We have, so to be able to have, to, to, to spread the, the, the team and to increase the diversity of the team. And I think that would be a way to actually increase the diversity of the participants. 
So, so if you a great point, and NHS Scotland is doing a great study looking at HIV in um, in intravenous uh, opiate users, and they've come up with a with a whole class of researchers. They call them peer researchers. The research data is actually collected by another current or per previous opiate uh, dependent patient. And that just gives a whole new quality even, not just the quantity, the quality of data you're recording is, is completely at a whole other level. The honesty and the discussion around the, the, the dependence, the opiate changes. So that, that, that is a great example of how you know, we can implement simple things that make a big difference. Does that um, link into the, the research champion? where you can have a patient or a carer or a member of the public with a certain interest or, you know, a certain experience um, that can volunteer um, to spread the word about a particular research area. That seems to link into that, or is that right? Um, and something we could see more of to help improve diversity. Other recent uh, TV campaign from the NIHR looking at... Um... They call them trial blazers, men and women, different ethnicities, people, uh, different abilities, putting on a blazer and saying, I'm a trial blazer. That, that, that's the sort of thing. And that links into the, the wider national campaign of self-identifying and self-looking for, for research projects. I also wanted to touch on something that Tanya will have a lot of experience with being in emergency care and in primary care is social care research. Social care, patients from social care are high healthcare users, but often, again, not included in many trials because there are various limitations or various exclusion criteria. Emergency and primary care would be the perfect interface to include this. Tanya, how do you, would you change the, how we tackle the lack of social care patients in, in our study. I think, Ella, again, it's all about um, reaching them in the first place, isn't it? And not thinking it's too difficult to recruit these people. I think, again, it's probably similar to what Laura was saying, trying to find a research champion from within that group, maybe, who've um, been involved in research before. Because I think that often people probably just think that it's not for them it's not something they do and actually they're wrong and as I was saying the core 20 plus 5 will hopefully help to address some of these issues because a lot of these patients who are not being included in research um, will probably be in the sort of deprived or more deprived um, areas and from the 20% of the population that are sort of being targeted I think to have improvements to their to their health um but I mean it is challenging I wonder whether primary care has a bigger role in trying to address this because they're sort of working within the um primary care community aren't they and actually probably have more contact with with people and actually that's probably a good a good um, sort of source of um um, patient contact. Absolutely. So uh, that, that I think also a great point. We talk about marginalized communities. We just need to remove these participants from the margins and bring them to the middle. And that has to come from us as as researchers, but also how these marginalized communities in quotation marks access the information. So we're getting close to the end of our time. So final thoughts from from all of you. Uh, uh, anyone? Go ahead, Laura. 
Um, there was something I wanted to bring up that we haven't mentioned about accessibility. Something that came up in my fellowship was about patient information sheets. And sometimes it's a really small thing, but how often commonly patient information sheets are really inaccessible. For example, you know, I work in the eye hospital. Many of the patients we see are visually impaired. They, they, their vision is so poor, they can no longer see to read. And yet a condition on the consent form is that I confirm that I have read the patient information sheet. You know, and these patient information sheets can be 40 pages long. Um, my grandparents had a similar experience. My granddad was unfortunately quite unwell and he'd been in the hospital all day. Um, and at the end of the day, they'd been given a patient information sheet to go home and read about a potential study. But my nan and granddad were so exhausted, you know, they're in their 80s, you know, they, they just tossed it to one side because it, it was just too much for them to take on board. And I think we need to be quite mindful of that. And when we're designing a study, think, well, actually, who's going to be reading this? And, you know, how can we, yes, we need all the information out there, but how can we deliver it in an accessible way? Um, you know, to not scare people off. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with Laura. I think it needs to be, research needs to be easy. Um, it needs to be easily accessible and it needs to be simple for the patient to follow. And I also really feel strongly that from a clinician point of view, we need to be more aware of what's happening within our own departments so that not just within our own studies, but that we can advocate for the patient and offer them all these different opportunities to be involved in research. Whether somebody loves research as a clinician and wants to do it as a career or whether actually they're not that interested, they still have a responsibility, in my opinion, to ensure all patients are offered the chance to be involved. And actually, that's part of the NHS constitution. Um, the NHS constitution says that um, patients should be given the opportunity to be involved in relevant um, research studies. I, I totally agree. So to go back to our, our title, there are problems, there are, there are barriers to, to improve, to our, how, who we recruit, the diversity of participants. They're not the obvious things that we obvious comes to you. It sometimes seems like really huge communities. Women are being excluded, pregnant women. Um, and there are solutions. Solutions are happening. The National Institute for Health and Care Research are actively working on this. The CRN network nationally are doing different things from video information sheets to online consent forms with databases, with TV programs, trailblazers. There are lots of different things that are being done. And if any members of the public are listening to the to this podcast, we really encourage you to go to our to the NIHRB part of research website and have a look and see if you can tell us what else we can do to improve what we do and how we get the information to you. And thank you again to my guests. Thank you so much to all of you listeners for listening in. Um, hope to see you at the next podcast as well. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this special podcast series from the NIHR. If you are a member of the public interested in research, please visit the Be Part of Research website to search for studies near you that you can take part in. For health workers who want to find out more, please visit the NIHR Your Path in Research website to get started. If you have specific research training and research career-related questions, please speak to your local friendly NIHR Clinical Research Network.